The information contained on the Real Health Podcast and the resources mentioned are for educational purposes only. They are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health. Okay, thanks everyone for joining us today for another episode of the Real Health Podcast. Uh, I'm your host today, Dr. Lucas Timms. And I'm really excited to uh, welcome our our guests today. Um, a very special guests today. We have Steve Spencer and his wife Miriam. And uh, Steve, we've uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We've we have. Uh, we've we've uh, we we got to know each other here in my clinic. And, uh, and we're going to talk about your story here today, uh, which is a very inspiring story. Um, uh, and I think this will be something that a lot of our listeners, um, will be able to, uh, connect with, uh, some of them from a, a, a cancer diagnosis standpoint, some of them from, you know, all the other odds that we overcame. Uh, but we're really excited to, to, to dive into this. You shared your story on a number of our outlets already. So a lot of our followers and listeners may already be familiar with your story. Anybody who's been into our clinic here has, has probably met, come across you at some point and met you. So just to lay the kind of set the table for everybody. Steve is a um, pancreatic cancer patient that came to me uh, in early 2020. So about two and a half years ago now. Yeah. And um, and your your story with this cancer diagnosis started before you came to me. So I actually want to back up even before then. Um, take us to uh, around January or February of 2019 and tell us uh, tell us uh, uh, where things started for you then in terms of the diagnosis and what led up to you coming to see me. Late in December, I uh, started feeling bad. Uh, started to get jaundice, having some stomach issues and some energy issues. Um, in January, I, I started going to the doctor and I said to my primary care doctor first, and he sent me to the gastroenterologist. And I had uh, had three different sets of, of lab work done before they finally said, yeah, you've got cancer and it, it's pancreatic cancer. Um, fortunately for us, at, at least we thought at that time, the surgeon that we were connected with had an opening um, less than a week after that, the confirmation of the diagnosis. So early in February, we had surgery. Um, the Whipple surgery. The Whipple surgery. Right, right. Um, except an hour and a half into it, they had to abort the surgery because I was dehydrated. They weren't, weren't able to keep my blood pressure up. 
And uh, I was literally uh, touch and go for the next day and a half or so uh, to the point that they told my family not to leave because I didn't know whether I was going to survive. Right. And just to, just to pause you right there. So uh, for those who aren't familiar, Whipple procedure is a very common surgery they do when there is a, a mass or a tumor in the pancreas. Um, and they'll go in, they'll remove most of the pancreas, but also lots of other organs that connect in and around there. And it's a major procedure. And you said they used the term, they, they aborted that procedure. And I think even when I reviewed your records that they, they were able to resect part of the tumor, but no, not all they, of it. They got the gallbladder. And then lymph nodes. The gallbladder and lymph. I think they did take out some of the disease. So just so everybody's, you know, got all the information. But anyways, they were not able to do the full procedure because of the blood pressure issues. And so they did have to um, stop the procedure. And there was still active cancer in the body at that point. Yes. Yeah. So I stayed at uh, in the hospital for three weeks, was released in early April. We started chemo, did chemo for four months, took a two month break. Um, in between, we got a second opinion at, at MD Anderson. We got a second opinion at Mayo. And both of those said that I wasn't a candidate for surgery, which was extremely um, difficult to hear. We Correct. Went we went out uh, east to Duke and Raleigh, North Carolina and Raleigh, Durham area and um, had a second opinion there. And that surgeon said, yes, I'm definitely a candidate. Um, long story short, we went back out. He performed the surgery. Um, this gentleman, this doctor, the surgeon had done over 1500 of these procedures. He'd come from New York at Sloan Kettering. So um, one thing that I learned going through this process is you want a high volume surgeon when you're, you need to have surgery. No so, doubt. So he did a great job. He got the cancer out that was in the pancreas, but unfortunately they found um, cancer in nine of the 19 lymph nodes that they, they pulled the test. Mm -hmm. I went home after a few days of, of, um, being in the hospital, 10 days later, did my follow-up. Then we drove back to Kansas City and started chemo again. And at that point, about the third um, try with a new chemo cocktail, I was not able to tolerate it. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, you had, you had run into quite a few complications, some of which were um, directly related to the chemotherapy itself. Um, a very common side effect of one of those chemo drugs you got was that it, it really hits the kidneys hard and you were pretty much forced into renal failure and were even on dialysis. Yes. After both surgeries, I had kidney dialysis. Um, the first one I was actually had three or four days of in-room kidney dialysis going 24 seven. So, um, the second time it was more of an outpatient basis, right? So um, as a result of going through kidney di dialysis, I also came down with MRSA. And right. at that point, as the MRSA grew, I lost my ability to walk and ended up in a wheelchair. And just to pause you there for more context for our listeners, MRSA stands for, you know, it's basically an antibiotic resistant staph infection. Okay. And so these oftentimes do um, start in ports, 
and tunneled catheters and things like that, which you had because of both the dialysis and the chemotherapy you'd been getting. So um, that's always a risk uh, involved there. But most people, when they get a MRSA infection and become septic, meaning it's in their bloodstream, uh, that doesn't always turn out great for them. That, that's, that's a lot of times what ends up taking a lot of patients, believe it or not, with cancer is, is a, a systemic infection, a sepsis. So not only did you have that, but you had it of a particular variety of bacteria that was very resistant to a lot of antibiotics. And it had decided to settle into your spine, which left you essentially paralyzed below the waist, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So a lot, lot of things working against you at this point. Yeah, it, uh, uh, we were fighting the cancer after being told that uh, there's nothing more that the traditional oncologist could do for us. Uh, we'd come down with MRSA and losing the ability to be mobile and walk. Um, and then we found you. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a second. But take me through your mindset of when all of that stuff came crashing down on you. Chemo didn't work. You've got advanced stage pancreatic cancer. The, the MRSA infection, can't really get out of a chair, out of bed. Like, wh where's your mindset at, at that part? Can you, can you go back to that and kind of remember where you were? You know, it's, it was a difficult time, um, honestly. You, you've been struggling, you know, um, like anybody else, you don't want to be a burden on your family. Right. You've worked all your life to accumulate a, a, you know, a financial nest egg. You don't want to blow it all on on a few months of, of your illness, all those kind of things pass through your mind. But in addition to that, I've got four kids, uh, three of which are married. I've got six grandkids. We also have the, the fourth one engaged now at this point and two more grandkids on the way. Um, but I've got all these reasons, the, the whys uh, of life um, out there, uh, including my wife. We're going to celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary this weekend. So um, I had all these whys to keep fighting, stay mm -hmm. alive and keep going. And yeah. together, that's that's what we did. Um, yep. Miriam was was quite the, the taskmaster, the encourager to make sure that we stayed on track with uh, the supplements and, and the eating correctly and um, consuming the water that we needed and all the right protein and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. She, uh, she was cracking the whip on you is what you're saying. Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, no, I love that in terms of, uh, the way you put it as far as, you know, you, even though everything was working against you, you still had that why, and you had those, you know, those things you were looking forward to in terms of kids getting married and grandkids and celebrating anniversaries. And so, uh, I think that's an important piece of, of the journey is to always remember that you, you know, you have to have a why uh, in, in these types of situations. And so Miriam, this is where I want to bring you in because I kind of feel like um, that first meeting when you guys came in, I kind of felt like you were dragging Steve in to see me. Was that true? Yes. <laughs> he, he was, um, this is the way life has gone with our partnership. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, so I had done a lot of research. I had gathered the information. He came along for the ride and we walked into your office and you were very honest with us um, about what you could and couldn't do. 
Right. But we felt like forming this relationship and and following your guidelines was going to benefit Steve mm-hmm. in his whatever life he had left. It, but it was also going to change um, our family practices and right. um, spread through the generations. One thing I want to add is COVID was very active in all this also. And so seeing, being able to physically be with those wise, mm-hmm. our children, our grandchildren was not possible in, at various time periods. And so that was another challenge for us is to keep that communication open with our kids and our grandkids as we went through and walked this journey. There's a lot more to this conversation and it's coming up right after a quick break. Today's podcast is brought to you by Live On Labs, makers of liposomal vitamins and supplements. Live On uses a liposomal encapsulation technology to protect nutrients from destruction in the digestive system. This allows for more efficient delivery of essential vitamins and nutrients. Choose from various supplements that support health and well-being, such as lipospheric vitamin C, magnesium, glutathione, and more. To learn more, visit LiveOnLabs. That's L-I-V-O-N-Labs.com. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing to think back and, you know, with all the other things working against us, oh, by the way, a pandemic was just getting started. Uh, so, yeah, even now when I reflect on it, it, um, uh, you know, we had a lot of challenges to overcome. Uh, and so I think when, you know, I can recall that first meeting that we had, and like you said, I think, you know, we just kind of had a frank discussion and I was like, well, you know, I mean, um, you know, you got a lot of, a lot of things working against you. Um, I'm not sure how much I can help you, but I we're willing to try, you know, let's take it one day at a time. Let's just start somewhere and see how far we can get. And like you said, there was always that greater idea of what can we learn from this? Even if, even if we're in too bad of a situation where, you know, we can't make headway with Steve, how can the whole family learn from all this? Right. So we always had that as kind of like a parallel thing we were, we were thinking about too, but obviously the story doesn't end there. Um, This was again, I remind people two and a half years ago, uh, and when you look at population statistics for advanced stage pancreatic cancer, the five-year survival is somewhere in that one to 2% range. So we're not talking about, you know, uh, a very common thing, even, even two and a half years later, you don't see a lot of people, especially going down the road that we went, which did not really involve any traditional treatments, because again, to remind our listeners, you had tried that and that didn't work and your body couldn't handle that stuff. Yep. So you came to us and, um, you know, we do our normal sort of initial approach where we take some testing, do some lab works, lab work, try to figure out in each person what's going on in the, in the terrain of their body or the soil of their body. We like to use those terms a lot because right. we look at cancer as a, basically a sign or a signal that there's something deeper going on in the body, right? It actually is trying to tell us there's a problem. And so we want to ultimately get to that root issue. So for you, um, uh, through that testing, we identified a number of things that we needed to get to work on. 
Obviously, we had this infection working against us, but there was a lot of high inflammation markers. Um, and so we used a lot of our tools that we use with a lot of our cancer patients like IV vitamin C, mistletoe, ozone therapy. And I would say that it was probably a good four to six months before we saw significant improvement. Correct. Would you agree with that? Yep. Um, and uh, one of the initial signs of improvement was that uh, maybe not directly related to the cancer, but that you started to get some feeling back in your lower limbs, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. During that time frame, we had um, a social worker that was coming into the house. Uh, again, I was wheelchair bound. And so we had some help. We actually had uh, hospice um, coming, the services coming into the house. So, but one of the social, social workers that came in to help bathe me noticed that every time she would get to my feet, my feet would jump. So we, we started feeling some, some uh, having some feeling in the feet. And her recommendation was, let's get him off of hospice, go get a second opinion, which we did. And we're thankful we did. And I've called that social worker a couple of different times just to thank her and send her videos as, as we've progressed from the wheelchair to the walker to walking with a couple of canes to now without any need for um, assistance to walk. Yeah, I think that highlights the fact that, you know, this whole this journey and your success has really been a, a it's been from a team. Correct. You know, we, we've had a whole team and cast of characters that have helped us along the way. And, uh, you know, you and I, obviously, um, our relationship started, you know, two and a half years ago, roughly. But we've had several other people that have been part of the process of you healing. Correct. Social workers, physical therapists, infectious disease doctors, you know, spinal other, cord doctor, spinal uh, cord doctors. Yeah. yeah. Occupational therapists and physical therapists, both. Uh, both of those have helped me get better and pr progress along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that team approach is, uh, is, is very, is very important to, to, to point out because I do think when we have these really complex cases, you know, the more different uh, individuals and practitioners you can get in the mix to help them um, the better and the, the broader your team and the more inputs you have and ideas, usually you're going to get, you're going to find answers and solutions if you keep looking in different, in different places. So, so we'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, and again, people can read about your whole story in a lot of other um, um, forums that we have our website, our newsletter, but fast forward to, I believe uh, maybe about four to six months ago. Now we had some scans done, right? We did. We and uh, why don't you share with our audience what that what the scans showed? Well, we had a CT scan done and we hadn't had that done for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, you had wanted that done. And my primary care physician said, well, let's not make let's make sure we don't mess up your disposition, because I was right. pretty optimistic, pretty positive. But we had that done and um, the scan showed no sign of cancer no sign of cancer in, in the pancreas area, nothing in the lymph nodes, um, nothing in my hip bones. So, or the liver or yeah, any of the bones, all those other areas that, that there had been issues with. So, um, so a, a clean bill of health, so to speak. Yeah. 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 It was pretty exciting. 
Yeah, that was an exciting day. And I can remember the day when we, uh, when we had you there in clinic that day and, and going through that, that was, uh, even though we knew, cause we had seen your whole progress. I mean, we knew that you were doing well and we had been tracking labs and other things that told us that we were moving in that direction, but there's something about seeing those images on the scan and kind of being that seal of, you know, that yes, we are, we are clear, we are all clear and there's no evidence of disease. And essentially a miracle has happened here. Yeah, it was a good confirmation, like you said, of, of the work that we've done and the lab results that we've gotten back uh, from a quarter to quarter basis. So, yeah. um, it, it, like I said, it was just a, a really good confirmation that the journey that we've been on together has, has, has worked. So far, so good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But um, obviously, we're, we're still working on stuff. And I think it's important for people to know that, um, you know, we still do some maintenance type treatments with you, even though we've gotten to that point of no evidence of disease. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing um, journey. Correct. And uh, once we have things where we need them, then there oftentimes is some work required to keep them there. And so you've made a lot of adjustments with your diet, lifestyle, exercise, mental, emotional health. Of course, we still do some periodic IV treatments and things like that to help with the immune function and keep inflammation levels down. But maybe if you can just wrap us up here by, you know, what's the, what's the main message that you want people to, to feel from hearing your story? I feel like I'm still here. God's kept me here to provide hope for others. And anybody that's watching this podcast, I hope that you will find that there's there's hope, even though traditional medicine uh, may not feel like you're a candidate for that hope, for that help, that um, a holistic approach can be very helpful for you. And uh, there's many other tools outside of that traditional toolbox for doctors like uh, Dr. Thames here to use to help you, um, regardless of what kind of cancer you have, uh, to try to get better. And hopefully you all will have the hope that I had. And uh, we just have kept things positive. I told Miriam all along, I said, why can't I be part of that? And I called it the six or 7%. And you said, told me, you reminded me that it was a lot lower than that. But <laughs> why can't I be that? that you know lower number yeah um, and all along we've just tried to reach out to others as we've heard of their diagnosis and be encouragers to them and share some of the things that we've learned uh, to do and not to do over over the last few years since the diagnosis so yeah um, but, that's uh that's a beautiful message. I, I love talking about, you know, hope. I tell people all the time that hope can be, you know, one of the one of the best drugs uh, for people in terms of uh, its ability to, you know, incite healing. And, um, you know, I know you guys have, have always put a lot of uh, um, work in, into the faith side of things as well. Um, and stay very strong there. You've you've helped so many people. I know you've become somewhat of a greeter in our clinic. Uh, helping people get comfortable when they're first new here. And so we appreciate that so much. And uh, just thank you for being a, a, a beacon of hope for so many people, for us as well, even, even for myself. Um, you, you've taught me that uh, 
Um, sometimes the impossible is possible and that miracles can happen and to always have hope. So we want our, all of our, our listeners, anybody who listens to this podcast or comes across your story to feel that as well. Um, Steve, Miriam, thank you guys so much for everything, but thank you for being with me today. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, okay? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Health Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit reardonclinic.org where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.